Jamie, you're, right, you're right to your local MP and, and say you want it redirecting through to the Prime Minister's office. But I can't, Im- I, can't Im- I can't imagine you having a local MP. Are you not the local MP? <laughs> <laughs> Are you not to yourself? <laughs> I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. Hello, comrades, and you're very welcome to the football spin. It's the football spin. At the start of the week, and and I mean, it feels there's optimism in the air. There's a sense of possibility, and 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 I have to say, on the football spin, we're very delighted, um, myself and Dion Fanning, to be joined by a new, a permanent member. Well, you know, permanent member of the football spin team, Nordine Chowdhury at Bearded Genius on Twitter. Nas, you're like uh, Landon Donovan. He was constantly on loan at Everton, and then. He never made the big money signing, but how does it feel? Well, I mean, first of all, that, that's the most underwhelming comparison ever. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sold it. That is a sell. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but second, I mean, secondly, like, obviously, like this this is a podcast I've supported since I was a kid. So uh, so yeah, so it's an honor. It's an honor to be your Landon Donovan. I should say the football spin is going to be going out five nights a week now during the uh, this new um, addendum to the Premier League season. And on today's show, we're going to be talking to um, Gary Neville and to Jamie Carragher of Sky Sports ahead of the start of the new season. Dion, uh, how are you feeling? Feeling good, Paddy. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Good, you know, just yeah, keep yeah. keep the comparisons to a minimum. Do not compare me to anyone because I'm feeling good right now. I don't need to be told that I'm, you know, the Thomas Gravison of uh, of, the, of this setup or something like that. You know, although I did shave my head at the start of lockdown, so maybe there you go. Yeah. If the skull cap fits, Dion, wear it. Is all yeah. I'm going to say. I think that's an important thing here in in terms of like people who are now thinking maybe is the right time to to shave your head because we're coming out of lockdown. People are going out, they're visiting friends and family. You did you did it in March, Dion. You took the you took the plunge. You shaved your head because you knew you weren't going to see anybody for months. And by the time you did, it well, back. Well, well, no, that's not. Well, what happened was that I needed a haircut, and then you know the pandemic hit before I could get out and, and get one. So I was sort of stuck. And then the first weekend of of boredom, I said, right, I'll just go for it. Um, and I think just as I went for it, Nas tweeted. Uh, something like there's going to be a lot of bored men shaving their heads today and I was like <laughs> I was like I've become, I've become a cliche again I'm a, a cliche but uh but yeah no I had I had a bit of a I had a bit of an accident with the uh the clippers when I forgot to put the uh the blade back in uh when I was pulling the hair out of it and so I just went bald across the top and uh my 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 six-year-old son walking into the bathroom at that point and burst into tears so uh whatever money i saved in a haircut i will have to make up for in you know child psychology therapy <laughs> in later years so uh so happily those days are behind us now uh Nas, uh we saw a picture of you the other day looking uh pretty pretty hairy I haven't seen your hair yeah. that long ever before no no it's it, i mean the tr- the problem with my hair is it, it tends to grow 
widthways, it seems to be growing outwards. These weird curtains have developed. Uh, I, I, I basically look like a combination of Billy Zane and uh, uh, olive olive oil. Is it olive oil <laughs> from, from Popeye? Yeah, Popeye's wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. It's it's doing strange things. So I might uh, I'm have to take uh, Dion's lead, and uh, I mean when I say take Dion's lead, I mean sort of shave it off, not not disturb his child. <laughs> no, no, don't please don't do that. <laughs> well, coming up on today's show, um, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking to um, Jimmy Carragher and to Gary Neville, and um, we had a good chat with them. Really interesting talking to them about. You know what they're they reckon is in store for Manchester United and Liverpool. Obviously, for Liverpool, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but uh, Gary spoke a little bit about what he how he thinks Pogba and Fernandez can gel together at Manchester United, and we talked a little bit about politics as well. And, and inevitably, what came up obviously in our, our conversation with the two boys was some of the role models that have stepped forward in this in this time. Uh, and you, you, you think of Raheem Sterling, you think of uh, Jordan Henderson, Seamus Coleman, but more than any other. And Naz, how, how fitting that we have you um, in permanently on this day when a mank has done more for sort of uh, British uh, relations across the world. Because when you think at the moment how, how much people are looking at the UK and thinking, God, that, that's disastrous. But then you have this guy, Marcus Rashford who is a footballer but has become so much more than that in the last few weeks because I know um, you know you've always been proud of Marcus Rashford because he's a local boy and he's come up through the youth team and he's a brilliant footballer but he has become this incredible role model and this letter that he's written where he you know he he so eloquently um, it's obviously gone viral but he talks about you know he says this isn't about politics this, this isn't about politics this is about humanity the idea that one third of school children in the UK, in UK classrooms are living in poverty and, and his call for free school meal vouchers to be extended this summer. We'll come to say in a moment to the response to that letter, which has just come out um, from Boris Johnson's office. But first of all, talk to us about that letter. I mean, it's it's so impressive because essentially he's gone from somebody who seemed like just a, a nice kid about a year ago to in, in even in the last nine months, he's uh, he's launched a charity for homeless people in, in, in Manchester. He's learnt sign language for a, a, a poetry competition for deaf children. He's um, he's obviously got involved in this fair share thing where he's 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 raised I think over twenty million pounds now. Um, he's he's been vocal about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and now he he's pushing the um, the thing to do with child hunger forward to, to sort of force the government to take action. It's so it's so impressive, and the thing is that. Um, not only is it so impressive that he's 22 and he's he's putting himself he set himself out there like this, but it's all it's also genuine. Like you'd you'd kind of you'd be impressed anyway if he decided to be the figurehead for somebody's else somebody else's venture or something that he admired. But you hear him speak um, and 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 sort of you you listen to how it sort of um, it reflects his his past, and it's obviously it's coming from the heart. It's so, it's so impressive the, the way. The way he's he's getting involved in this um, this venture to sort of feed feed sort of young children living in poverty that's because he experienced something of that when he when he was growing up in in Withenshaw. Um, the homeless thing is when he used to take two buses to to training in Salford and and saw all the homeless people in Manchester. It's it's also genuine and it's also impressive. 
Dion, the response that I mentioned there has come from Boris Johnson's office, although not from Boris Johnson himself. Um, so what it says is that the PM will respond to Marcus Rashford's letter as soon as he can. Uh, Rashford has been using his profile in a positive way to highlight some very important issues. Um, the Prime Minister understands the issues facing families across the UK, which is why last week the British government announced an additional £63 million for local authorities to benefit families. Um, are you surprised by the response at this stage or what do you make of it? Well, the thing that's interesting in this is I, I saw that quote and it kind of tells you everything about the vacuum uh, of leadership in, in British politics and in, British, in the British government. That the actual quote is the PM will respond to Marcus, Marcus Rashford's letter as soon as he can. He's been using his profile in a positive way to highlight some very important issues. When I read that first, I thought, is he talk? Is that is the spokesman talking about <laughs> Boris Johnson? Mm-hmm. Like you know, the, like are they actually saying that Boris? You know, I've, I've got to tell you guys that Boris Johnson really uses his uh, he uses his platform when he can. Um, and it's, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if they actually tried to make that point because, like Boris Johnson, is such an absentee leader uh, <laughs> that, that if they were to actually make the case, you know, he really tries to use his platform when he, he just loves to speak up on issues that concern him. But instead, like what Boris Johnson does is he writes a, he writes a column the same day that Mar- Marcus Rashford uh, is writing this letter. Boris Johnson writes a column about statues for the Daily Telegraph. And in the middle of it, you know, you know announces uh, uh, the you know an initiative on tackling racism, but mainly writes about statues uh, in a way that is about like, which is in a way that it says you know it would be we cannot pretend to have had a different history. But like the point about that, which really misses the point, is that this history isn't settled. And this, as people have said, what has been happening in around the world in recent weeks is also is is history too. It's not people upending history or, tact- or trying to rewrite history. They're making history. And the Boris Johnson view is to kind of look at, look at history, to look at Britain as a kind of theme park, as a kind of place. You know, and this is what Brexit was about. It's, it is a settled, you know, it is, it, there is a theme park of Britain that we can go back to uh, um, if, 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 we, if we ignore certain people who lived in the country, if we, if we try and pretend that somehow there was a golden era where everyone was happy and everything was good, and we can get back to that. And this is what, this is what Boris Johnson is doing in, in his letter, essentially, and it's essentially what he's doing and what, what is why he is the antithesis of somebody like Marcus Rashford, who is of modern Britain and is providing a kind of a leadership and a sense of connection with people that uh, that you know that that the you know the only like the, that the that Boris Johnson and the Tory government can't do, um, and I think it's extraordinary too that it does come after a weekend where you know we saw the we saw the the the, the protests um, by you know the the, the far right protests in London and what uh, and you know the the connection they have you know the connection they have to to football and like on a weekend when England would have been playing their opening game in the in Euro twenty twenty, uh, we were kind of reminded of of that of that connection between uh, a certain type of football fan and those kind of th- those views and for someone like Rashford to actually be offering an alternative um, is 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 extraordinary and i think i think the other thing we can say about the uk government is if they're saying they're not going to do something now 
it probably means they are going to do something soon because uh, like the way they've handled everything during this crisis is to say, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do this, then we're going to do it. And you, know, the, you increasingly come to the view that none of it is actually a conspiracy. None of it is actually a, a, a wicked philosophy as much as that they're just useless. No, it's just uh, th- that line from Rashford about it not being about po- politics, it's about humanity. It, there is that sense that the UK government isn't very good at either of those things. Um, from the outside anyway, for, for looking in, oftentimes it, it feels like it feels like it's a desperate situation, but from your own, from to be inside it, like how does it, how do you feel about it and uh, I suppose Rashford's intervention? I mean, I mean, first of all, the the, the different one of the key differences between Rashford and the government is is Rashford sees a problem and looks at how it can be it can be solved to the extent that before he wrote that letter, he actually he actually he had the humility to send out a tweet saying that uh, oh, um, if I was to go if if I wanted to contact the government, how would I go about it? And and he obviously sort of sought uh, assistance in that. So he he's a doer. He he wants to solve a problem when he sees it and a problem that's affecting. Kids that are starving because because they, they can't go to school, can't get a can't get a decent meal, and that's why he's doing it. When the government see a problem, what they do is is they don't look to solve it; they look to, to they look to how they can uh, bend the truth or spin it to seem as if the problem is lesser or they're doing something about it. And and you you, you see that here with the, with uh, this this letter that um, Rashford sent to the government that it, it's 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 impossible to argue against. So what the government do. Is they patronise him like like this? The statement that the prime minister, prime minister's uh, spoke prime minister's spokesman come out has come out with is so patronising. It's it's basically saying, oh, um, is isn't it nice that this footballer um is is using his platform to speak about these things? But it's it, the, the subtext is he doesn't properly understand the situation, and it, and it's kind of like the government in terms of in terms of what the government want or what the government pretend to want from footballers. It's bollocks because. A few a few uh, weeks ago, you had Matt Hancock set, sort of saying, like almost pointing the finger at, at footballers and saying, "Do your bit." And here we've got a footballer who's who is doing his bit, and then some. And when the when the government are held to account, when the when the finger is pointed at the government, they've got no answer, and it's and it's purely a fudge, and it's about it's about twisting reality to seem as if they do care, rather than someone like Rashford who who wants to achieve his goals. Okay, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we were chatting to Gary Neville and Jeremy Carragher of Sky Sports, and that's because the Premier League returns with uh, tomorrow evening to Sky Sports with a double header. Sky Sports and Now TV will show 64 matches, 39 are exclusive to subscribers, and there's an extra 25 available on Sky's free-to-air channel pick. So we, uh, myself and Dion spoke to the two boys on a Zoom call um, last Friday, uh, we started by asking them about where they'll be when the football returns. Will they be sitting on their couches doing it from home, working remotely, or will they be in the stadiums? No, we're actually going to be at the ground, uh, really. I mean, a lot of the people will, will not be normally at the ground, won't be there. I think us doing cold comments and some of the lads who don't do that, you think of Graham, Roy and uh, Jamie Redknapp, I think they're going to be at Sky Studios. Obviously, the situation that we're in now, we don't want to be travelling around. You can't have too many people at the stadium, so... It's obviously got to be safe and sound, but I think we're going to stay sort of in our area and with Sky Studios being down south, down London, that'll probably be more for, for Graham and Jamie. I'm sure we'll go down there at some stage, but we're, we're, we're quite looking that a lot of the big teams are in the northwest. They're, they're involved in the game, so it's uh, 
Anfield, Goodison, Man City, and they're all traffic for me. I think in the first few weeks. Gary, how's uh, how's lockdown been treating you? Um, any new skills or any new uh, talents that you've acquired over these months with extra time on your hands? No, um, I think the only thing that's different for me, obviously, is the uh, I've had headaches all the time. I think it's been. He's not been on these Zoom calls. That's because you know Liverpool are going to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does Liverpool going to win the league? That's what I've been thinking about for three months. No, I just think I've, I've had headaches all the time because I've been on these Zoom calls. So no, I've nothing, nothing new. Um, I don't think. Um, I think it obviously gives us all an opportunity to be able to. Uh, it, you know, it's been a test. You know, obviously, I, I, different people in different ways, whether it be health, whether it be economic. Obviously, I've been heavily involved with Salford in terms of what the decisions that we've had to make as a club in the last few months, but obviously um, they've been part of the league calls as well. And then with the hotels, it's been massively challenging. Um, there's no real... You talk about no football supporters being in the stadium, a problem with football. You know, imagine, you know, no guests in, hospita in hospitality, restaurants, hotels, is a massive issue. And there's going to be... Um, massive issues in that industry for the next 12 to 18 months. So no, it's, it's been a challenge, but I've enjoyed it. It's, um, you know, you, you have to react to it, don't you? Um, I, uh, Jamie, I think you mentioned Roy there. Um, he's going to be at the games or maybe he, I think it was that he was going to be at the games, but I would just wonder if you've been, been keeping an eye on him. How's he getting on? Is he doing all right? Yeah, I think so. He's, uh, he's, he's been on the football show a couple of times. We've yeah. been on a lot more than him. So, we, uh, we know if we've started the show well because two or three times I think we both get a text off Roy whether he's happy with what we've said or he's not happy really uh, early in the show in the first hour or something so uh, that's been quite entertaining actually uh, and sometimes when the camera comes on us we're looking down at our phone and we've been caught out a few times a lot of time that's uh, a text message off Roy if he's not particularly happy with uh, either what we've said or what, what a guest has said uh, so he's still making his, uh, his presence felt down Harry, uh, were you surprised when your cop said that what he'd learned in lockdown was that you have an opinion about everything? Is that, uh, <laughs> was I upset? Were you surprised or upset? Oh, he wasn't surprised. <laughs> I wasn't surprised nor upset. I don't get upset and I don't, I don't get surprised by the obvious. Um, okay, Jamie, no. what would you say, like, it, like you, you'd say that was true. What would you say the most surprising thing that Gary has an opinion on is? Like the thing that you've been so, most stunned to hear him have a strong opinion on. Well, at one stage, he was threatening to write to government. And then I was thinking, how would you write to government? Who would you address that to? Where, 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 where's your post? Who, who's it? Did you just write Boris on the front of the thing? I'm like, he, he was adamant one day before, we, I'm writing to government about this. I'm writing to government. I'm like, how, how would you do that? But he will find a way. He, he will know. He will find a way. So I'm like, just let you, him get Jamie, off you write to your local MP and, and say you want it redirecting through to the Prime Minister's office. But I can't, <laughs> Im I can't, Im I can't imagine you having a local MP. Are you not the local MP? <laughs> <laughs> You're to yourself? <laughs> no, do you know something? The problem is, we, we did this show, the football show, for, well, two months maybe three times a week and it i've always over a five-year period oh, sorry 10-year period and jamie knows this i've never ever gone onto any debate shows or any um talk shows or anything like because i generally do believe that you use up literally just speaking constantly for like two hours three times a week and it just becomes a noise and that's what i've become in the last two months it's just a noise because you get asked 20 questions in a show you give 20 answers 
And and I'm asked my opinion. I'll give my opinion. So it, I, I, the fact that actually Jurgen's recognised it means that you know either he's been watching, which is good. It's uh, it's bugged in, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> or he's enjoyed my opinions, which is good. So I, there's no there's no lose here. But I, what I would say is that you know I've always basically maintained on Sky that I do live football. We do we do sometimes after the show go in the studio. But you know doing these sort of three times a week, two hours, I've enjoyed it. But it just feels like you're constantly giving opinions on everything that you're asked. And the reality of it is, um, yeah, I'm glad football's restarting because it means we can concentrate on giving comment on football matches and incidents and players' goals and what they do. So that's it's better. But you're, he's right. I felt there was, there was a point, maybe, Carrie, you felt the same, where you just felt as though you were literally talking constantly every single day about football and there was nothing happening. So you're just offering opinion on the same stuff continuously. So good on Yeah, it was. Day. Yeah, it was. What can you do? We are getting paid for it, though, so I didn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like most players now in this in this period are in the back now, but they went nine weeks or so without without training or playing football. Like, what's the longest in your professional careers you guys went without playing football? I, I was injured. Yeah, I was injured for five months. Right, but outside injury, like, with just actually an enforced oh. break, like, well, pre- I think. I think what you I mean, to be honest, the break that they've had now was the normal break when I first started, like a YTS and a U team player. It, w- it would be a, a good solid sort of two months. I mean, it wasn't until sort of Benitez came that we'd only have a month off. And, and so it was funny with Benitez one year, the season finished and we actually stayed for another 10 days training because of the date we were coming back. So we, we'd only have a certain amount of time off. And all the lads were going mad, as you'd expect. But I think years ago, it was a good eight to ten weeks off. No one had ever go to pre-season before July. It would always be like July the 10th. And then, you know, years later, it would be two or three weeks before that, really. So that was the old way. It has been slightly different. They have been training. So it's it's not like, you know, it's almost like a pre-season. I think they've been... No one's known how long it's going to be. That, that's the, the difference in that. I'm not saying it could have happened like a week, a week later at any time. But I think... Everyone was ready for it to be in three or four weeks' time. The football's going to start. So I do think we've seen it on social media, lots of teams doing training. You've seen Jose Mourinho and his players in, in parks doing extra bits of a train or trying to push the boundaries as far as they could. So I don't think it's exactly the same, but listen, it's not easy. The only thing I would say is that no one's got an advantage because it's the same for everyone. I, I don't get I, I don't get this fitness thing, me, the players nine weeks. Is that a chance? You know, we've heard managers, coaches, players, us crying out for winter breaks and the players time to recover for years and years. And the first time that the players get a genuine rest, a genuine sort of what would be recovery where everybody can let the sort of bodies mentally, physically, you know, no problems whatsoever, but they've continued to be able to train. We've heard managers constantly talk about the training sessions that the players are doing. Um, Players have all had nine week injuries um, and, and, and come back within two or three weeks to play football. You know, if it's a European Cup final in normal season, you're out for nine weeks. He said, right, he's got two weeks to get fit. The manager would come on and say, no problem whatsoever. You know, he'd be back. He's, he's going to have two games, three games before the European Cup final. They're all playing behind closed doors friendlies, it would seem, at this moment in time as well. I, I don't get the fitness point at all, me. I, I, I've not bought into that from day one. And Gary, you don't think it's an issue that because there's only nine, ten games for some teams, 
like that you don't have any chance to kind of ease your way into the season. You just got to go straight back into it. You don't think that's an issue when you haven't played for that long? It, it, it would be an issue if it was it wasn't the same for everybody. You know, everybody's going to be in the same position. I don't think it's a problem. I, you know, there'll be ham, there'll be hamstring injuries, but there are hamstring injuries in ordinary parts of the season anyway. And it's always put down to overplaying. Now we're going to put hamstring injuries down to underplaying or undertraining. It just, I, I don't mm -hmm. get it. The players will have had three or four weeks to get fit. They'll have been doing, they've all got gyms or access to gyms in the last eight, nine weeks. They'll have been doing three or four really good sessions a week in terms of general fitness. I, I think the players could be in great shape when they come back. I don't see why they wouldn't be in good shape. No, I agree. And, and you're talking about being injured. I remember breaking my leg. And I was out for four months. I didn't end up a six-week pre-season or no. an eight-week pre-season. I mean, you, you trained for two or three weeks. You had a couple of reserve games. You went back in the first team. So I'm spot on. And I actually think the break, from a Liverpool point of view, you think of like Liverpool's front three, who I don't think have had a break in the summer probably the last four or five years with proper America and African Nations, Cups, Olympics, all these different things. Honest to God, I think they could come out flying, not just in these nine games, but also going into next season. Because next season now, there's no... African Nations Cup, there's no Olympics. And I think that's one of the big reasons why Liverpool didn't, you know, really push the boat out to get Timo Werner because they're looking at these tournaments that would have been there next season that are now not when Werner would have got games. And, and you know, that's front three. We know how good it is, but I think it could do them the world of good, really do. You can't afford him. We don't Did need to afford him. They're the best. World champions, European champions, Premier League champions in about two weeks. Jamie, that Premier League could be won at... at Goodison on, 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 on this weekend coming. Uh, is that the right decision to play that game there and not to move it to a neutral venue? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, I, I questioned probably six weeks ago when uh, there was all this talk about the teams near the bottom weren't accepting neutral venues. Now, my problem with, I was all for playing at neutral venues because I thought, well, if, if playing at neutral venues is better than, than the league being cancelled or teams putting a block on it. Once the league was coming back, the real thing about neutral venues, I, I can understand, but that people are saying about people congregating and using Liverpool as an example, I get that. But I mean, what I think will happen is I've got no problem with it. I don't think any fan will be outside the game when the game is going on. I just don't get that at all, really. You know, the game's going on. You, it's on TV. Everyone can watch it. It's on terrestrial TV. So I don't see any any problem with like Liverpool fans being outside Goodison or outside Anfield against Palace. What I do think might happen once Liverpool win the league, if it was in one of those games, you might get a couple of hundred Liverpool fans maybe going to Anfield to get pictures or a picture with, you know, the Shankly stack. I don't know, behind the cop for social media or something, but I don't think it'll be like a mass, huge amount of people, a mass gathering. Because number one, I, I think if, if these people were, were pictured or their faces were put on social media about lockdown rules or whatever, whatever situation we're in at that stage, it wouldn't be great for them really. I don't think, but listen, there'll always be people who, who, who cross bands. We've seen that before the football. And to be honest, we've seen thousands of people on beaches and marches and even VE Day and streets and having street parties. So I think that the way we talk about football fans has been that for a, for a long time, going back years. But I don't think it's right, to be honest. Um, Gary, looking at United, like there's a lot of expectation about Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said that good players can always play together. You think that's true? I, I think that if, if they played in a if they played in this um, a system whereby um, he didn't have to defend, work hard. 
So you, you now started that you now lit the spark of the last interview that we did, where basically he <laughs> thought that Paul Pogba shouldn't be in the Liverpool midfield, which I think is embarrassing. You don't want to get um, each other's mute buttons again now. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, I think they can play together. They're both going to have to be given the freedom to go and play. I think that you would have you would have said this sort of thing 15, 20 years ago. Can they play in the same team together? Systems are more fluid now. Football is more fluid. There's an acceptance that you don't have to be perfect in shape defensively all the time. But, you know, we're not talking about rigid systems anymore. To me, if those two players can't play in the same midfield as each other, with obviously a more defensive player with them, I would say that's a reflection upon, um, you know, Oli, Oli would take that as a reflection upon himself rather than the players, I would think. I think he can absolutely make that work. Um, when you think of the sort of players that you see playing, in, you know, when, when I, I, I saw a team at United that had Scholes, uh, Tevez, Rooney, uh, Ronaldo and Giggs in it that won the European Cup. Obviously, sometimes Owen Hargreaves came in, sometimes G. Sun Park came in, but... In, there were games where Paul Scholes in the midfield with Michael Carrick, who wasn't a... Michael Carrick was a good defensive player, but not what was a hard man sort of... Him. You know, Carrick, Scholes, Rooney, Ronaldo, uh, they all played in the same team as each other regularly. And there might be a, a part, a decent part to balance it off or an Owen Hargreaves from time to time. But generally, if you've got really good players, then they should be able to play together. And my view would be, and that's, that sounds really simple... But particularly in the modern game now, where systems are more attacking, the game's more fluid, there is no excuse for these players not to play together. I think they could be outstanding together. Thanks, uh, Jamie, for giving me silence <laughs> during that answer. Uh, obviously, we're coming back to a Premier League season, but we're coming back to a world that has totally changed. Like, we've never had this before, this experience on a global level, but obviously in terms of the, the Premier League and... And the transfer market, I'm, I'm curious to know what you boys think the transfer market is going to look like now because will we ever really have the transfer market back as we had it before? I mean, even something as simple as, do you think, are we getting any sense that players will be less likely to move because maybe they're unsure about going overseas or into a different, you know, going to a different league, a different country? What's your the, sense of that, Jimmy? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think... Listen, I don't think the transfer market would be exactly the same now because I think even some of the top clubs in world football have taken a hit. I think you see that with the uh, the team Werner deal in terms of Liverpool. I'm convinced without what's going on, Liverpool would, would have signed him. But I think financially, I think the, the, the makeup of next season also. I think Chelsea in a slightly different situation this season. They've still got the... Well, they had the transfer ban basically last year. They've still not spent the Hazard money. I think they've sold Morata as well. So I think Chelsea in a position to maybe capitalise or maybe not other teams uh, spending, maybe able to get uh, certain players cheaper, really. But I don't think it'll be long before it gets back to normal because before you know it, desperation comes back in again and, and teams want to be at the top, they want to make top four, they want to get the best players. I, I, I don't think this is going to be something that changes football completely. I don't really see that. Yeah. I think people will see this for what it is and hopefully what it is, that it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime situation and I think it'll affect it right now, but I, I don't see it affecting sort of... in two, three, four years' time, the transfer market, I think it'll go back to where we were. And as I said, that desperation for clubs and managers to be to be the best and, and you know, win trophies. I, I think it'll be at least a couple of years before it gets back to anything near the numbers that we were talking about before. If It may be even three or four, as Jamie says, but uh, there's four or five big things happened in the last week. I mean, they've been publicised, but you put them together, it gives you, uh, I think, a real big, good understanding of what basically the, pro the problems that the top clubs in England face Tottenham announced last week that they borrowed £175 million 
pounds from a bank. Manchester United uh, called upon 140 million pounds of new debt from their revolving facility. Liverpool pulled out of a player at 52 million pounds that they've been courting quite obviously 12 months and said we're not going to buy him. And Everton announced that they were looking at 50% cuts and deferrals. That's four of the biggest clubs in uh, revenue terms in the world who have basically made massive financial either reversals or calls upon new debt in the last week. That's that's a big, that's a, they're, they're huge numbers, those 140, 175 million, 50% cuts and deferrals. So if you're talking about Everton Football Club having to take 50% deferrals to be able to pay wages, how can, how can they even think to enter into the transfer market for a £5 million player or a £10 million player in the next month? Because the players that are in the dressing room that are taking the cuts are going to say, well, hang on a minute, you want a deferral and cut off me at 50%. How can you go and spend money on mm. players? outside of the club that are not even here. So I think there's a, I think that what Jamie's just said, I tend to agree with, but there is going to be a massive correction in the next two years, three years, I think, because this 175 million of debt that Tottenham have paid for, they have to pay that off at some point. Like, what you're talking about there, like, Gary, that element of, like, we've seen in the figures in the UK about the recession that the, the country has gone into immediately, like, we've seen the graph, like, all these... Like the fact of the world that football is coming back into, it's so it's so changed and it keeps changing. Like you know, we've the, from coronavirus now had Black Lives Matter, pro, you know, the protests. Everything is feeding into this sense of a changed world. Jamie, I'm interested in you know you wrote about it in, in last week about your admiration for the modern day player. I wonder if you could just talk a bit about that because. You set it up very interestingly, saying how you, in, in 2016, you formed a view of the modern player as pampered, and thinking about it now, you, you realise that you were wrong, and a lot of your change of opinion is based around what you've seen in, in the, you know, Marcus Rashford, you talked about Seamus Coleman, uh, Raheem Sterling, like, could you talk a little bit about that and why they impressed you so much? Did you admit that you were wrong? You did, yeah. There's a column today, haven't you read oh. it? No. Not yet, no, no. He sent me a copy because no, no. he's behind the paywall, isn't it? Yeah, because the actual <laughs> uh, the actual column was on the back of England going out to uh, to Iceland, really, and I actually blame the players. When actually looking back, I probably should have blamed the staff. You know, you actually think if he was in charge, then of Roy Hodgson and Gary Neville as assistant, so maybe that's where I, where I did get it wrong at that stage. Uh, but but what I what I think is, I think when I, when I was playing. And if you'd have next Liverpool players, say for instance Tommy Smith in perfect example. Everyone thinks the generation in front has got it easy. And listen, life does become easier, and, and maybe for, for a lot of people. And, and then we we stop playing, and we think the generation, you know, the academy generation, if you like, it's too easy. They don't clean boots, and all these things get passed on. Every generation says it about the next one. But actually, the way I think uh, players have you know conducted themselves in these last few months, and even before that, really, and I was talking about. As you mentioned, Gary's mentioned wage deferrals. I think that come from James, uh, Steam, uh, Seamus Coleman going into the dressing room and speaking to players. I think of Jordan Henderson, what he's done in terms of getting 20 captains together. Raheem Sterling, how often he's come out and spoken about racism. Jaden Sancho, you know, taking the, not the chance, but, you know, being brave enough to go as a teenager to a foreign country and, you know, live there on his own and make a name for himself. And, and sometimes we equate bravery with, you know, how tough the game is in terms of tackles and challenges and, and, that, and that type of thing in football. But actually the leadership and some of the things these players have done now, in terms of social media as well, I should mention Marcus Rashford, he's had a huge uh, 
impact in, in, in what's happened in these last few months as well. They're showing brilliant leadership and I class myself as a leader on the pitch. I'm ordering people about, I'm organising, I'm aggressive, I'm, I'm screaming at referees. Oh, I'm screaming at referees. But the leadership we're seeing now is maybe different leadership, but I'm not quite sure I could have, I, you know, I've played for Liverpool my whole life. Could, well, could I have moved as a teenager to a foreign country? I don't think I could. Would I have been brave enough to speak about social issues, racism, maybe on social media if I was in the mid-20s? Maybe I feel more mature now. But, you know, these lads, are some, some of them are in the early 20s. So that was that, that's why I did the column, really. And a lot of these players were possibly involved when I made, uh, when I'd done that column three or four years ago. And uh, happily enough to say I was wrong, yeah. Gary, do you share that view, Jamie, that you should have blamed the management team in 2016? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you have to take uh, responsibility, all, all of us that were part of it. Uh, but I agree with Jamie. I've been saying it for a few years, to be honest with you. It's one of the reasons we looked at setting up. You know, I genuinely believe that the young lads that are playing now today, the scrutiny they're under, the, 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 the fact that they're smarter, they're more switched on, they look after themselves better, they're better prepared for... Uh, post-football careers than we were. Um, I think they're they're more steely than we were in different ways. The game's different. The game's more fluid. The game's more attacking. You can't kick through the back of people anymore. So it doesn't it doesn't accept sort of what would be the old-fashioned sort of cloggers that it did 25 years ago. The game's so much better um, to watch in in the sense that it's um, more attacking, more goals are scored, uh, and I think these lads now are to be fair. That they are more brave in a lot of in a, in a lot of ways than we are and uh, than we were. And I said the other day on an interview that I sat in a dressing room in 2003, I think it was, next to Ashley Cole, having seen him be abused and heard him being abused during a game for England, and went and got my shower after the game, got on the coach and went back and didn't give it a second thought. And neither did any other player in that dressing room. Never, you know, we never mentioned it. It was just a case of basically. Um, you know, it's almost something that was accepted. It's something that happened in a different country. You know, it didn't strike with us, and that's unacceptable. And I look back now and think, how how bad is that? That we didn't, you know, pay attention to this sort of abuse and discrimination that was going on right around us. And and, and now players are rising up against it, and rightly so. And I think I said a couple of months ago on Sky, a few months ago on Sky that. I would support players walking off the pitch and we would have to support them wholeheartedly because it's it's something that shouldn't be accepted anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wanted to ask you about that, both of you, because we are, I think you mentioned, you know, uh, Gary going through this time of massive upheaval, social upheaval. Um, the Black Lives Matter protests have been happening across the globe. Uh, I was struck by a message, actually, that Sky Sports News put out this week where, uh, and this is a message I think a lot of media uh, are are it would it would uh, echo with them as well because Sky Sports News said we strive to do more to say more we're against racial injustice in all forms and just like you've mentioned there Gary in terms of like how you could look differently at experiences your experience in football I know um, you know last year Jamie you would have apologized to Patrice Evra for Liverpool wearing the t-shirts before the Wigan game with Luis Suarez's image um, after he'd racially abused Evra in 2011 and you also said at the time that the, the club had got it massively wrong for both of you, is this time causing you to look back at your experiences in football in a different way, Jamie? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that the game Gary's talking about, I'm not sure what game it was. I don't know if it was in Spain. Was it in Madrid? Because I, I was, yeah, that was the game. So I was involved. I came on as a sub that night. And, and again, 
you the same. You don't think, you know, not obviously you think about it at the time when it happens, but you know, after the game, it's not something at the forefront of your mind. Uh, really, I mean, the thing with uh, Patrice Evra as well, and what I was pleased about after he came on the show, and obviously I, I, I apologise probably on behalf of myself and the club, but I think the, the club then got in, in, in touch with her and Patrice actually uh, exchanged uh, contact numbers. And he actually he was the first person to tell me that the club had actually been in touch with him a few days, Liverpool Football Club. So he, he was he was really pleased about that. And going back, I think, that's a big issue. There's, I think there was an issue. Uh, I think last season with Man City as well, with uh, the two the, the two players together. I think it was Bernardo Silva and Mendy, and something was going on. And the unfortunate thing, I'm probably every club's guilty of this. If you if you, uh, if, you, if you go back into the past, and that it, it becomes that tribal thing of the club rather than actually what's right or wrong. And it's like, oh, we've, we've got to defend our club. We've got to sort of the club can't be seen to be doing wrong, or the club support Louis Louis Suarez. Uh, if you like, and, and other clubs have been in those situations, and a lot of the time the, the clubs should should come down heavier on their own players. If you know, with misdemeanors, obviously we you know racism's right at the top of that list, but there's there's other things and different situations. And I think probably too often now, or certainly in the past, uh, clubs have been too quick to support their own player, whether they're right or wrong. I actually think the situation that we're in now, and what's happened in these last probably. 12, 18 months, even Raheem Sterling coming out 12, 18 months ago on the back of the game at Chelsea. I think clubs now, I think people know, it, it does feel like there has, hopefully there's a big change in those situations in terms of football, whether one of your players involved in something that hopefully clubs will see see it right rather than saying we're standing behind our man type of thing. And, and that's where Liverpool got it wrong. Luis Suarez was wrong, he made a mistake, a big mistake. And we as a club got it wrong on what we did with the T-shirt and how we came out and supported him at that time. Gary, before we go, I just want to ask you, how pleased are you to see the Premier League back just so that Liverpool can be crowned champions? Uh, I'm, I'm praying for a Manchester City win on Wednesday so <laughs> that I'm uh, not commentating on the game on the when, on the Sunday night at, at Goodison, which I am doing. Um when they can win it. I'm hoping that I'm at uh, Old Trafford and the Sheffield United game and they can win it away from me. That's my only hope. Uh, oh, fine. You don't worry. <laughs> 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 and what were you going to, what, what, what were you going to write to the MP about? Or were you going to write to the Prime Minister about? Uh, to, 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 I, I was just earlier on in the, earlier in the crisis, I, I was very critical of, of, of the government right at the very beginning on Sky Sports and, um, of just, I, it was a mess. It was a shambles from day one. You could see it. They were all over the place, and I just felt like writing to them about using football as a basically. Uh, I think it was using football as some sort of what would be PR tool for themselves. Um, anyway, I, I I didn't write. I uh, saved my my ink still in my pen, but it could go. It could go. Well, they haven't really changed. They haven't got it much better, have they? No, no. Mm. Okay, absolute pleasure. Listen, uh, thank thanks you so much for joining us. Uh, just to remind everyone, the Premier League returns to Sky Sports with doubleheader on Wednesday, June 17th. Sky Sports and Now TV will show 64 matches, 39 exclusive to the subscribers and an extra 25 available on Sky's free to channel pick. And you'll see lots of Jamie and Gary. And it's live! <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Leon. Thanks, buddy. Take it easy, thank mate. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a great interview. Um, I thought it was fitting that uh, he spoke to Carragher and uh, Neville about uh, things to do with politics, Rashford, etc. Just because they are obviously two people who, in different ways, um, have done things for the community. Um, obviously, um, 
at the beginning of the coronavirus uh, um, lockdown, you had uh, Gary Neville um, basically um, a lot, a, like uh, opening up his hotels for the NHS staff to use and stuff like that. And uh, and uh, with Carragher, he's obviously a very vocal supporter of the the kind of supporter led food banks and things like that. So both of them, in different ways, have uh, have um, got involved in sort of social issues and politics. But again, it just reaffirms how impressive it is uh, that Rashford is doing what he does. Because as they both, um, as, as they both explained in, in, in your interview, um, they did, they did that as they got older, they did that after their career was over. Because as sportsmen, um, they were very focused on what they were doing and um, they wanted to excel in that. And then afterwards they started thinking about other things. Whereas you got Rashford, who's not even anywhere near his peak. He's just emerging into, into becoming this amazing striker, and yet he he has he has the um, conscience and and the sort of uh, ability to empathise and the intelligence to to care about other people, and 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 I, I just think that's what makes it so exceptional. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that like they've you know what Carragher said in the in in the interview and in his column last week in the Telegraph about you know, looking at players in a certain way and thinking, you know, they're, they're pampered in that kind of classic, uh, you know, one generation, you know, it's not exclusive to football. Every generation looks in the one coming up behind it and thinks that they're, they have it easy. Um, and now recognizing because of, of, you know, the way play, players like Rashford and Sterling and, you know, he mentioned Henderson and Seamus Coleman too, uh, have taken action that, that that was the wrong perception. And it's, uh, is amazing because it's very rare for players to do that to actually um at, at, like while they're while they're young when and it goes against what was once a culture in dressing rooms where you know the idea that you would have an opinion on these things or you would uh put your head above the parapet on anything like you know the goal of an interview if, if you were a footballer of a certain generation was to kind of say nothing like to just come out of it having said nothing having done nothing controversial and clearly because of how society has uh, ordered itself, not not for the, not, not for the good, you know, in many ways, uh, that hasn't been an option for people like Sterling and Rashford. Um, what was, sorry, what was, what was the situation? What wasn't a grain so mocked for reading the Guardian or something? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah, he used to be, he used to be, uh, yeah, that was his, uh, you know, a term of abuse. He was a Guardian reader, um, and uh, and that was the the culture of the dressing room. And again, it was just that um, when you look when you look back at it, that 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 kind of uh, you know, the, the, like attritional. Um, don't do anything different. Be part of the gang. Be part of the you know. Be part of you know. There's like the 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 kind of the way you will get taken down if you try and do anything different. Um, will be unmerciful, and that's the way football ordered itself for a long time. Now, as you said, like there's reasons why they've done this, which mean that it's not you know like Sterling has taken a stand because of the way what of things that, because of things that have been written about him because things he, you know people have, the abuse he's received at, at, at grounds, so he's had to take a stand. So it's it's he but he ha, but he hasn't been he hasn't decided that the way out of these situations is just to keep his head down. Um, and like that is extraordinary. But I don't know, Nas, if you think this is like, like it's going to be hard because you know we're, football is coming back in in empty stadiums. But like, do you think 
there is going to be any sense of this sort of changed world that we're coming back to, apart from the, like the you know Black Lives Matter on the Premier League shirts and that kind of stuff. Is there any other sense you feel that this uh, changed society is going to be reflected when football begins, or is that or is that optimistic? Is that kind of um, sort of utopian? Um, I, d- I don't necessarily think so. I think I think talking about Black Lives Matter um, more so than the um, than what they wear on the shirts as, uh, as the as a sign of solidarity, I, th- I think what will be more meaningful is is like you will definitely get certain celebrations that allude to that um, and uh, reference that. Obviously, you've had that in in the Bundesliga, um, so I, I definitely think you'll get things like that. You've you've had players like um, Troy Deeney who's been very sort of vocal about what's happening outside of football and how it affects football. So I, I do think there will be an acknowledgement that the world hasn't suddenly gone back to normal. Um, I, I, I do think uh, players are. I'm more than aware of that, um, but I think it's 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 it'll just be interesting um, how how Rashford now because 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 I I I don't think you can look look at things in isolation because you had Raheem Sterling um, got a lot of grief but also got a lot of praise for speaking out about certain things and you don't know how much that's impacted on Rashford feeling more confident to be himself and sort of speak his truth. So you kind of it'll be interesting whether that has a then a further knock-on effect on whether people feel sort of emboldened and, emboldened and inspired by people like Rashford and sort of want to get involved. Um, you've, you've obviously had people before, like uh, Juan Mata, who's, who's got involved in, the, in, in like um, donating part of his, uh, his salary to, to charity. And it's, I, think, I, think slowly, I think slowly that's developing. And I think that's exciting. I think that's really exciting. And, and Carragher mentioned... Um, Jane and Sancho going over to the Bundesliga and experiencing new experiences. And I think that's really important. I think footballers now know that it's okay to grow as individuals. And even even sort of footballers of the previous generation, you've got somebody like Neville Southall, who who has never stopped um growing as a person and wanting to better himself. And I think I think that's that's one thing. Uh, as as much as sometimes it feels as if society's not moving on. And uh, it's the same old situations we find ourselves in. There are there are certain things that you kind of think, well, well, perceptions have changed, even if it's only by a by a token amount. All right, lads, listen, thanks a million for all that. Um, absolutely brilliant to have you on board, Noz. Um, and we will be back again on Wednesday evening after the first round of matches: Aston Villa against Sheffield United, and Manchester City against Arsenal. Um, so lots for us to look forward to there. Lots, lots for us to look forward to there. Um, before I let you go, who do you think is going to win the Premier League this season, Nas? It's a tough one, really. Um, I I think Liverpool might just sneak it, but um, they, yeah. they, their current yeah. their current form last few games haven't been impressive. So you never know. Yeah, uh, I fancy them to come a cropper this weekend at Goodison. I just don't <laughs> think they have got the metal first. The mighty so Blues. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not feeling good for them. Um, all right, uh, listen, Dion and Noz, thanks a million, and uh, thanks to um, all our listeners as well. For anybody who hasn't already done so, if you want to click subscribe to get the show into the into your feed on whatever audio platform you're listening on, and we'll be back on a Wednesday. We'll see you then. Good luck. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. 
I don't understand that. Politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. 